Well, I've done a variety of things. Where do you want me to start? I was a Kansas City, Missouri police officer from 1971 to 1996. I had been involved in a really... Uh, nationally known case in the 1970s. It was, it was codenamed Strawman. It was uh, an investigation of uh, problems in an area, an entertainment district called River Key. As that investigation developed, the uh, FBI and Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit, where I was assigned, developed probable cause to put some hidden microphones in a little pizza place called the Villa Capri about independence and prospect on the east side. And this was where all the mob guys hung out. And and we had information that they would sit in the back in a particular place. And I hate to say it, but it was the greatest job in the world. <laughs> it was fun. I was, you know, I wanted to be some kind of a, 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 a soldier, a spy, a FBI agent. I never even thought about being a local cop when I was a kid. Welcome to the Paris of the Plains. From Kansas City, I'm your host, Matt Hodap. Gary Jenkins was a Casey Mo police officer during one of the largest mob busts in history. He retells that story and other greatest hits of historical mafia moments on his Casey-based podcast, Gangland Wire. For this episode of Paris of the Plains, we decided to team up with Gary and produce a joint show about his time policing the mafia here in Kansas City. Marin Trezolo had a company located around close by the city market, which is just north of downtown, about three or four blocks. It was an area that, besides the city market, and the city market at that time was not a uh, kind of a hip place to go with restaurants and and different public uh, fresh fruit, vegetable places. It was a place for commercial fresh fruit and vegetable places. When Italians first came here from Italy, turn of the century, they lived, they, they moved in an area just east of that called Columbus Park today. We always called it a Little Italy, of course. And, and they got in the fruit and vegetable business. So along with the uh, early Sicilians and Italians that came to Kansas City, they brought the Black Hand, which morphed into the modern-day crime syndicate or mafia or outfit, whatever you want to call it, uh, La Cosa Nostra. And, and they always had a prior, kind of a proprietary interest in the area around the city market, they felt like. And so Marion Trezolo, go back to Marion Trezolo, he had a business. That area besides the city market, it had a couple of restaurants, uh, this kind of dives and, and uh, diner-type restaurants. And young people just uh, were taken with the charm of the place. And... Uh, they, they started several joints along there. Poor Freddy's, who had Italian food, Freddy Bonadonna, who figures into this story that I'm going to tell uh, heavily. He was one of the first club owners to move in there, and he opened an Italian restaurant, and, and he had a bar. The mob is sitting there watching this, and Freddy Bonadonna, as I said before, had one of the early clubs. Freddy resisted that, and, and Freddy had some political connections with the city, and, and he was... Uh, under the under the table, shall we seek? He was hipping, or he was telling liquor control through his city hall friend Robert Hernandez, who was a city councilman from the area, that hey, these guys, you don't want to give them liquor licenses because we do not want them down here. They will ruin this kind of family fun 
you know, young, urban, professional kind of vibe we have going, they'll run it. Freddie Bonadonna, he was told through his father, David, that he needed to, they found out he was resisting some of these liquor licenses. David was a, what we call a mob associate of Willie Camasano, and that's a person who is probably would be a professional criminal I'm trying to think like uh, like Henry Hill or, or the, the, the character Ray Liotta played in Goodfellas. He was, he was either uh, uh, maybe not Sicilian or he might have been Italian or, or half Italian, but he was not a made guy. But he would go out and do crime. David was sent the message by via Willie Camasano and his brother Joe that Freddie needed to quit resisting their efforts to get these clubs down there and, and to welcome them in and help them come down there. And, and Freddie told him, he said, you know, David, or Dad, I can't do it. So David went back to Willie, and, and the story was that he said, you know, my boy says he can't do it. And Willie told David, he said, you know, he could get hurt. And David says, you know, if you're going to hurt my son, you're going to have to come through me. And about month later, David ends up dead, find him in the trunk of his car over about 5th and, or about ninth and Euclid. Fast forward like a year or two later, after we've been doing this periodically for the last several years, why, uh, uh FBI gets this Mike Ruffalo come in, and, and he's afraid that he's gonna be killed. He ends up in the witness protection program, and, and he says, you know, I've had several conversations with Corky, and, and, and actually said, I set a bomb. They had him on a bombing over, and uh, they sent a message via a bomb through a strip club owner over in Kansas City, Kansas at the Red Apple. And, and they had him on that, but nobody knew they had him on that, so he started talking to them, said, you know, we have these kind of conversations, and, and I'm afraid that they're going to do me because I know too much now, and they've done a couple other people recently. We had a lot of mob hits back in the 70s, and, and we haven't had one in years now. But back in the 70s, we had quite a few. And, and uh, he said, I'm afraid they're going to hit me. So I'm, I want to, you know, I need an escape plan. And he had one. He said, "We." I've sat back there at that table in the back of the Villa Capri with Corky, and he's talked about how we're going to, kill this guy, how we're going to kill that guy, and and had these general back-and-forth conversations about these kinds of crimes. So so the Bureau can go in, and, and you have to get a federal wire, uh, federal uh, warrant to install a hidden microphone or a wiretap. So they can write up an affidavit that said, you know, over the last several years, these guys have been seen by, you know, good sources, the Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit. These mob investigations take on a life of their own, and this one particularly did. It became, you know, at the point in time, that point in time, the most famous mob investigation in the United States because it spun off out to Las Vegas. But so they hear, uh, for example, they hear I'm talking about Lefty, and, and they hear him talking about the Stardust, and they hear him talking about Joe, a uh, 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 guy they called Caesar and Joe, and we're going to make a buck with this guy, and he works at the Tropicana, and so they hear these, and, and how much money the, the Stardust is making every month and how much their loan payment is to the Teamsters, and, 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 and you kind of put this together and then call out to Las Vegas and then find out that, oh, yeah, uh, Jay Brown, he's a lawyer for the Stardust. Oh, yeah, Lefty, that's Lefty Rosenthal. He's, he's the Chicago 
contact, a Chicago outfit or Chicago mob contact that works inside the Stardust, and we've been trying to get him out for, for a year now, and we can't seem to get him out. You find out these kinds of things and put that together, and then one night, Tuffy says, he said, I said, I need to call him. He said, but I got to go find a phone. I'm not using this phone here. So then, you know, then that spins off to, okay, we got to follow Tuffy and find out what phones he's using. So we, we pull a full, full court press on Tuffy and use an airplane and about 10 guys. And we have code words because this was before encryption on uh, uh, radios. And, and uh, remember, the ditch was the uh, freeway. And, and uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, Truman Road was something like Eisenhower Road, and, and you know, some things like that got tricky little things. And, you know, each one of the subjects, like Tuffy was tequila, and Corky was cognac, and they had a different booze name. Uh, Ragusa was rum. And, and, and so we'd start following Tuffy and caught him at the Mulebach Hotel, which is a really old-timey hotel. And, and if you go in the lobby, you can still see the old uh, walk-in phone booths have these wood phone booths you can walk in and shut the door behind you like in old movies and so he was using phones down there he's using phones over at the uh, executive I think it's executive inn at Front Street and I-435 so then you get on those phones and that's when they caught him really dirty and, and having all this talk with Joe Augusto they're playing at the Tropicana and then it spins off to other wiretaps in Las Vegas and and then it goes up to Cleveland and Chicago when they start putting it together. Kansas City alone from one casino, their Tropicana was getting $40,000 a month, every month in cash money. And that, was, and that wasn't as big as, uh, as the Stardust take, which was going to Chicago, and then because and, it was a much bigger, it was part of an, a corporation that had four casinos. And so they were skimming out of all four casinos, sending that to Chicago, and Chicago was then having to kick back to Milwaukee, Cleveland, and Kansas City. So we had two streams of money coming in, uh, the, our own stream from the TROP plus whatever they were getting from the Stardust. We exposed the TROP more because it was uh, strictly a Kansas City operation, and, and the Kansas City FBI is the one that started this investigation and maintained control of it and brought everybody down. And they're all the heads of the mob at that time. In 1983, they were all convicted. Uh, Joey Iupa and Jackie Cerrone and Angelo LaPietra in Chicago. Uh, those are the three mob bosses up there, and Frank Ballesteri in Milwaukee, and uh, a guy named Mashi Rockman, and Angelo, oh, I can never pronounce this guy's last name, I won't even try, in Cleveland, and then, of course, Corky and Nick Savella died as they were getting ready to go to trial, and Corky Savella and Tuffy DeLuna and Charlie Mortita were all convicted. They were the mob bosses in Kansas City, were all convicted for skimming, and they were all older men, and they're basically given life in prison. They, a few of them, Tuffy finally got out a few years ago, I want to say around 2000. I think it was right after I got out of law school. I saw a little piece in the paper that he was out. And then I saw another one. He was he was banned from the boats here in Kansas City. I thought, well, this that's not right. This old guy, he just wants to go play a little blackjack or throw some dice without going... Well, he can't go to Las Vegas. They already been banned from Las Vegas. But I knew enough about the uh, the corporations that own the local casinos, all the casinos now. You know, they're not going to get any influence over that. It's too big. Poor old Tuffy. They banned him for the casino. He tried going down there, and somebody spotted him and ratted him out, and he got banned from the casinos. And he died shortly thereafter. So they're all dead. The last man standing was Pete Tamborello, who was not convicted. He was he was. Uh, uh, 
Nick Savella's driver, and he was not convicted, and, and he died recently, so they're, they're all dead now. Thanks to Gary Jenkins for sharing his story with us today. You can hear his podcast, Gangland Wire, on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find all our previous episodes there. Make sure to subscribe to keep up to date with all Paris of the Plains podcast episodes. Our show is part of the Fountain City Frequency podcast network. Our theme song is composed by Jamie Searle, and our website, fountaincityfrequency.com, is designed by Matt Sullivan. You can check out our other podcasts there. I'm Matt Hodap. Thanks for listening.